0: Go! What is up, guys? Welcome to episode twenty-nine of the Triage Method Podcast. How are you today, Paddy? I am
1: absolutely fantastic, Gary. I've had a, a nice long day getting
0: shit done. Me too. We're always on that uh, getting shit done hype, hustle, grind, etc. Yeah, go
1: go to war, kill your enemies. You know, you know the usual. Daily shit, you know. Um,
0: So, so, Gary, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about energy systems, and the reason we're going to talk about energy systems is because a lot of people ask us a lot of questions about nutrition and fueling your training and things along those lines, and realistically. A lot of questions could be cleared up and never need to be asked if we simply understood the basics of how we produce energy, the role of different energy substrates, different energy systems, and that sort of stuff. So I decided that I was going to get a guest on the podcast this week who, you know, studies biochemistry, is interested in biochemistry, loves energy systems, physiology, and all that sort of stuff, because to be honest, you know, I've been listening to the podcast back and... It's all about exercise and biomechanics and anatomy, and, and that's all kind of boring. So I have a guest today, Mr. Paddy Farrell, and i uh, going to ask you loads of questions. Basically,
1: Ooh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so hopefully by the end of today's podcast, you will have a better understanding. Obviously, like in an hour podcast or whatever this is going to be, you're not going to get all the subtle complexities of clearly a most ridiculous system that, uh, is the human body the human energy systems in the human body Um, but obviously this is going to give you somewhat of an overview and then we don't want to just give you like oh here's an overview of this like there's there's articles and there will be articles on that in the militia i on the podcast i kind of just want to give you we'll say the end point in terms of how does this apply to your thought processes how does this apply to your training your nutrition etc so after this discussion you should have a better idea of how these energy systems should help you make more informed training decisions and then also how these energy systems will help you make more informed dietary decisions and hopefully if we have time we'll touch a little bit on fatigue and but we'll see how this kind of stuff plays out right so most people are aware that humans use energy right and it's pretty straightforward it's a little bit of a disconnect in terms of when we intake energy we call it calories but then when we're discussing the utilization and like the use and stuff of the energy we kind of talk in atp so there's already this kind of disconnect and people don't put two and two together and this is why you see people kind of go oh we can break thermodynamics uh, with hormones and all this kind of stuff and it's like no, 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 no. You, you take in energy, you use that energy, there is no disconnect. You know, calories in, calories out. <sighs> it, like, it's a pretty straightforward system. However, there is obviously a lot of subtle nuances that go into that system. And we're not going to touch too much on the kind of hormonal regulation, although we will be mentioning one or two things uh, because it does help inform the whole discussion. But if you think of overall energy, In the human body, we discussed it as ATP. And that may be something that you've heard of before. Most people have, especially if you've done, you know, kind of, we'll say second level science, you'll have discussed adenosine triphosphate, you know. So you've got this adenosine and you've got Tree phosphates you know pretty pretty straightforward with that and essentially all that is is i like to think of it like a battery so those phosphates they are high energy well the phosphates themselves aren't necessarily high energy the bonds there are high energy so you've got a lot of energy that atp is somewhat of a battery so that's all you're doing you just have these little batteries that you can float around the body and they can be used to do work or provide energy so that you can do work. They're pretty ingenious in terms of they're more like rechargeable batteries because the cell can, you know, put and take away phosphates from that and, you know, they can renew the energy. We'll, we'll say renew the energy. Uh, they can move around the energy within those phosphates, you know, from one section of the body to another. So they're pretty versatile. So if you just get that in your head, ATP is, we'll call it the energy currency of the cell. It's kind of like a battery you know and all the calories all the macronutrients you eat eventually well i'll say eventually yeah they get broken down into atp and that's obviously not as straightforward and again we are going through that whole digestion series in the militia at the moment so if you are looking for a more in-depth discussion of that that's where you go so traditionally you will see that there are three main energy systems within the body at least these are what the main ones that are discussed um, and you'll see them called like the anaerobic alactic energy system or the ATP CP uh, energy system uh, or you maybe call it the phosphagen energy system then you've also got the anaerobic lactic or uh, glycolytic energy system and then finally you've got the aerobic energy system so essentially you've got these three kind of main energy systems the anaerobic alactic that's kind of your your creatine phosphate system that's lasting you know depending on where you look this up or who you talk to we're going to say you know one to ten seconds that's what's providing the energy there and then you've got the anaerobic lactic energy system and this is traditionally the one where you'll see people talk about the endpoint as lactic acid and we'll, we'll discuss that in a little bit in a second anyway Um so you got this anaerobic lactic energy system and again both of them have the name anaerobic in the the title so we're presuming they're not aerobic which means they're not using oxygen so that anaerobic lactic system that's somewhere in the range traditionally you'll see it discussed and it's kind of like oh that kind of takes up the slack between that 10 second mark and again, depending on who you talk to, that that two minute mark, right? So you've got the anaerobic alactic, and that's one to 10 seconds. And you've got the anaerobic lactic, and that's 10 seconds to two minutes. And then you've got the aerobic system, and that is pretty much onwards and upwards after that. So anything over two minutes, we're talking aerobic, right? However, this it's kind of a simplification. And I understand why people make the simplification because like I just discussed it there, it's pretty straightforward. You go, you know, a lactic energy system or the, the phosphagen system, one to 10 seconds. Cool, got that in my head. Lactic energy system or the, uh, yeah, the glycolytic energy system, whatever you want to call it, you know, that's kind of like 10 seconds to two minutes. Cool, got that in my head. Aerobic system, anything two minutes plus. However, at whatever time point, they are all contributing somewhat to that overall energy metabolism, you know? So just because you do an activity for a minute doesn't mean that, you know, the first 10 seconds, that was all ATP, uh, creatine phosphate energy system. And then as soon as that 10 seconds were up, just shut down and turned off. And then the anaerobic Uh, lactic system just turned on. No, the anaerobic system had been like slowly ramping up in those first 10 seconds. And then it slowly gets up to more of a, a, a peak, we'll say, and it kind of sustains that until two minutes. And this is the same with the aerobic system as well. It's not like Oh, two minute mark. We pass that. Boom! Aerobic system comes online. No, it's been ramping up slowly. It's been providing energy and doing other things that we we'll get we will get into throughout that whole time frame. So it's a bit of a misnomer, and I I can understand why people get this in their head. Although if they actually examine their thought processes, they actually wouldn't agree with this in terms of you'll have people talking about you know marathon runners, and then they'll say something like oh but they they even though they are which we'll talk about in a second you know predominantly fat oxidation would be what you would think oh aerobic system this is going to provide you the most energy it's going to be the best fuel for you then they'll also talk about oh but you'll need your carbs because we what if you have to do a, a sprint and it's like do you not see this dichotomy in your head where it's like you've been doing aerobic work but then all of a sudden you can turn on Anaerobic work and do a little bit of a sprint towards the end. So you're already saying within your own mind that these systems can work at the same time and together. So having a delineation where you're like, "Oh, well, in the first ten seconds, it's only the phosphagen system," doesn't quite make sense. If you're able to do that little bit of a sprint, or you know, I'll talk about like a punch or a powerful move, an explosive move. It's like if you can do this while the aerobic system is the predominant one, why can't the aerobic system be working? when one of the other ones is predominant. So there is a bit of a mismatch there in
0: the overall thought process. So you with me so far, Gary. Yes, sir. Does that all make sense? It all makes sense. One thing, one, one thing, just to make sure people don't get, get confused or maybe you just totally disagree, but you were talking about the, the longer aerobic energy system. And you said about marathon runners, like potentially fat oxidation, like, would you say would you say that that marathon running at that intensity is primarily a fat oxidizing activity or would you say that they are actually going
1: We're going we're, we're to get into that, especially because like people do use that marathon running as a, or that long, slow intensity or slow. What's it called? Long list, whatever <laughs> the fuck that sounds like I remember right now. Low intensity, steady state. Thank you. Uh, people kind of go, oh, yeah, that's like, you know, marathon runners and stuff. And it's like, have you ever seen someone run a marathon? Like, they're going on a good yeah. fucking clip. Like, like, they're going, like, their heart rates are up, like, <laughs> you know. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that when we discuss kind of the more of the dietary stuff. I was just using that as, you know, people's general thought process. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so before we actually get into the nuts and bolts of this, because I want to discuss, first of all, why I hate those terminology Okay, because I kind of view it as this is either aerobic or anaerobic. And even though people like to say there's a delineation between this creatine phosphate and this glycolytic, these two anaerobic energy systems, I'm like, "Ah, does that really inform you a huge amount? Like, obviously, it does. I do like having more information and having more discussion of the subtle nuances but for the majority of people it really doesn't fucking matter you know it's not something that I would be going oh yeah I need to really look into the subtle nuances of this it's like okay it's, it's either aerobic or it's anaerobic it's either using oxygen or it's not using oxygen and obviously there is a subtle difference I want to say I when get into the calorie demands of either of those and the calorie production or the ATP production of those well, it irrelevant to the overall conversation but anyway so The other thing I have against this is, and it's also the way they delineate these two, they say the anaerobic alactic or that phosphagen system, that creatine phosphate system is alactic, right? And then they say the anaerobic like glycolytic energy system is the lactic energy system. And I'm like, why do we, like, I know why, but I'm like, why do we delineate these based on this one, end point we'll call it because we've we've kind of shot the bed in terms of the research and i know if you actually dig into the research and you actually understand the research and especially if you understand the research on metabolism not necessarily if you understand the research on strength and conditioning because obviously they're they're interpreting research from a different field and assuming that the researchers in that field are actually fucking getting their shit right which you know is a big assumption to make (laughs) um but like this lactic acid, which is what people always talk about. Oh, I feel feel the burn it's lactic acid or, you know, I I was prematurely fatigued because, you know, my muscle was just full of lactic acid. It's like, where the fuck are we seeing this lactic acid? Like, I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at all these pathways and I'm like, where does lactic acid come into play? I'm like, it just, this doesn't seem to be on any of these charts. And then you're like, well, there's lactate there. you're like but why is this is not they're not the same things because lactic acid is as the name would imply an acid whereas lactate is a conjugate base so they're completely different things you know so this this is not the 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 same thing so saying that you've got this like acidosis in your in your muscle because of lactic acid when it's lactate is a conjugate base makes literally zero sense because if it was acidosis and lactate was there lactate would act as like a buffer and give you more availability of or more of a buffer to that acidosis so it makes no sense however what does make sense is lactate being formed because you have overloaded the cell's ability to deal with pyruvate so you look at that glycolysis or that glycolytic metabolic pathway obviously you can't see it right now because we're talking on the on the podcast but if you look it up at some at some stage you look at that glycolytic energy system and you look at that pathway you'll see it goes all the way down to pyruvate and then it says you know pyruvate can be used in you know like the the Krebs cycle and stuff and it can maybe be you know it can be it can kind of go into acetyl-CoA or it can kind of do a little bit of a run around and go to oxaloacetate right and then it feeds into the the krebs cycle etc and you know be used for overall atp production energy blah 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 right but then it's like people just look at this and then go okay we presume this system is like infallible and just keeps going and it's like okay well it doesn't keep going because obviously we hit fatigue so there is some point of breakdown and when that point gets to your break there that breakdown point occurs you essentially continue having this glycolytic stuff going on because the cell still needs energy. So all these, all this pathway is going, okay, well we need energy. So we're in a production line here. We can keep working. We're all fucking good. But it forgets that at the end of this production line, you've essentially got this, we'll call it reactive species that can, that can be used to do stuff. However, this reactive species isn't great for like traveling long distances. You know, it's kind of a little bit more reactive. So, You've got this and it's like, okay, well, we need to keep the the production line going. So we need to do something with this end product that we can't use right now because we've overloaded the the Krebs cycle and we've overloaded the stuff that we can do with this. So we have this excess. So you've got your your pyruvate bucket full and you can only dump so much into the Krebs cycle. So what do you do with the, the overflow? And what the body does with the overflow is it moves it, to lactate. And again if you're a researcher in this you can go got it. Lactate, lactic acid, they're the same thing, acidosis. And that's that's just not what happens, right? So you got this lactate. The lactate is just the pyruvate to lactate is just so you can move that lactate more efficiently without affecting this pyruvate, you know, system that's going on, this pyruvate processes that are going on in the Krebs cycle, etc. And you're essentially moving this lactate so that you can either get it to the bloodstream so that they can go to livers and kidneys and then be processed into stuff that can then help you provide you or provide you with energy. Because again, that's what you're looking to do. Your your cell is under an an energy demand and like, you're not going to just be like, Oh, let's make fucking acid in my cell. Like your body's going to be like, well, how can I use this, this end product here that I have an excess of let's move it to somewhere else. that can deal with it to again, feed into energy uh, production. So, that lactate can also then be transported to cells around the tissues that you are targeting uh, through like it's kind of a little bit more of a we'll say advanced uh, thing Uh, these MCTs monocoboxylate transporters and essentially that allows the cells around the, the target cells to deal with this lactate you know process it and then contribute to energy production as a whole so lactate Not the devil you've been led to believe, and it is actually something that is very, very beneficial for overall energy production and obviously exercise performance. Then, right? So this is why I don't like this delineation between this lactic system and a lactic system. It's like, yeah, cool, you measure that endpoint, but it doesn't tell you a huge amount. Anyway, that is just a little bit of a, a tangent. Personally, I always feel I'm like, oh. It just, grind, just grinds my gears when people talk about that. And I'm like, oh, like it just, it's not. Like you are getting acidosis in the cell, but it's not from lactate. It's from the accumulation of hydrogens from these other processes that are going on. Again, don't need to get too too bogged down in those
0: details there. So that all makes sense, Gary, does it? Yes, sir. I, I didn't know you were going to add that last point. So I was just going to question you about it just just to let people know that that when people are talking about things like uh, a lactate threshold, etc., and things like that, and and the fatigue that comes along with that, that they're not necessarily they're not like people are not wrong, like totally wrong. At least to say that well, they fucking are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you, but the 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 point the point is that there there is acidosis that can take place within the cell as a result of the accumulation of hydrogens, and it may be correlated with the time point at which lactate begins to be produced more, but it's not necessarily that the lactate is the fatiguing agent. Is that fair? Yeah. Correlation, causation, yes. it's not the same thing.
1: Anyway, so everyone now understands we've got these, we've got this aerobic system and we've got this anaerobic system. <clears throat> they contribute throughout the, the whole thing. You know, it's not just like, we'll, we'll say one energy system, predominates over the other at a given time point generally what you'll find is the anaerobic system d- dominates first the first you know short shorter duration we'll say less than two minutes and then you've got the aerobic system that predominates anything over that right so you keep that in mind because that's going to help you make sense of what we talk about later on especially when we get into the, the training stuff. Anyway so The aerobic processes, these are essentially utilizing fat, carbohydrates, amino acids as substrates, right? So these are the ones that are going to produce the most ATP for a given substrate. So the aerobic processes are the most efficient, right? But they require the most chemical steps. And thus they take longer than the anaerobic system to generate that ATP, right? So they're kind of more capable of sustaining, we'll say, moderate to low uh, intensity outputs, but for very long durations, right? So the, the kind of, we'll say, central factors that dictate uh, the energy production Uh, with the aerobic system are more related to oxygen transport because again you think of it like if this is the aerobic system you need oxygen to have this system working effectively right so pretty much it makes a lot of sense so you'll see the aerobic stuff and this is generally what you'll see people kind of refer to when they talk about cardiovascular work a lot of this stuff is what they're talking about like the, the aerobic processes are what they're talking about so you've got like stroke volume myocardial contractility uh, the autonomic regulation of that all uh, pulmonary diffusion blood volume you know hemoglobin affinity basically anything that kind of affects your ability the body's ability to transport oxygen right that's going to affect your aerobic system as a whole, right? And this is important because it will come back to making training decisions and making dietary decisions as well. And it'll also explain a lot of things when you hear people talk about them, you know? So then the more peripheral factors to that aerobic energy production, again, is more to do with the the oxygen utilization. So once the oxygen gets to the muscle you know so you did those are the kind of the central factors there i just discussed that's kind of getting the oxygen to the cells that need it you know and um, so you can essentially just think of that as like breathing uh, and the heart and the, the nervous system that regulates that right but then the, the more peripheral stuff is once that oxygen gets to your cell, what, what's going on there? And that's kind of like the, the oxidative enzymes, the, the machinery that you have there, you know, the mitochondrial density, and this is what you'll hear talked about a lot, you know, mitochondrial biogenesis, uh, you know, the mitochondrial enzymes themselves, the, the capillary density, you know, and muscle glycogen stores, and then the, the myoglobin itself within the, the muscles there. So they're kind of the things that are the more peripheral things that affect the aerobic energy production right so you don't need to remember all of them but just keep that in your head that the aerobic system is going to be somewhat dictated by the heart the lungs the nervous system regulation of those two things and then we'll call it the oxidative capacity of the muscles themselves and that kind of goes into you know the mitochondria within the muscles and then obviously the capillaries again the more vascular system stuff and as well as the the glycogen stores uh there too now the anaerobic processes again you're thinking these are the processes that generate atp without oxygen so you can already kind of go okay so this stuff we just discussed there maybe doesn't apply hugely here and again you would be right so this is it this anaerobic system basically can use atp can use phosphocreatine and can use carbohydrate right so that's your your big three now again we can get into the subtle nuances and go well technically you can use other stuff but that's kind of like the other stuff is being used to create one of those three things atp phosphocreatine or carbohydrate you know and so you can be really reductionist and say well i can use everything but like further discussion this is what you will you'll want to think again atp phosphocreatine carbohydrates um and again this produces atp at a much faster rate than the aerobic system however due to the fact that it's creating that uh faster atp or synthesizing that atp faster you got this rapid change in the cellular environment itself so that's going to lead to a bigger disruption of that overall homeostasis of the cell and leads you more of, you know, a kind of what we said earlier on, a kind of acidosis within that cell. So again, think of anaerobic system, boom, really quick, doesn't, or it fatigues rapidly, we'll say fatigue here, um, can only be used brief periods of time, not great for the extended use, but it's great for like maximal power. Like if you needed something, you need to go for a sprint, you need to throw a punch, Boom, anaerobic processes. And they're kind of the central factors. And again, this is the one that you really need to pay attention to because this will kind of explain a lot of things. Um, so the central factors of anaerobic energy production are dependent on the central nervous system function, right? So that, that's the main thing that they're dependent on because it's all to do with motor unit firing rate, motor unit recruitment, intra and intermuscular coordination, and then overall sympathetic drive right so remember that that's that you need to remember that for the discussion later on so again i'll kind of say it again the the anaerobic system more to do with the overall central nervous system functioning because again motor unit firing rate motor unit recruitment inter and intramuscular coordination and sympathetic drive right and that's the kind of central factor so turning on the anaerobic system you need the nervous system to be you know on the top of its game the more peripheral factors then again this kind of goes more towards we'll say substrate availability and then the the enzymatic machinery there to deal with that substrate availability so you got kind of like your glycolytic enzymes for, for example your a lactic enzymes and your phosphocreatine like substrate availability obviously your your glycogen availability and then the more of the the ph buffering capacity and that could be you know stuff that you've taken in you know people will generally use like something like sodium bicarbonate or maybe even beta alanine and stuff like that to improve this this portion the peripheral factors right so does that all make sense Gary so you've got your aerobic system basically the central factors that govern, govern the aerobic system more to do with you know, the heart, the lungs, the the nervous system regulation of those, and then the the peripheral factors kind of to do with the mitochondria and the, the vascular supply of the muscles. Then the more anaerobic stuff, basically the nervous system as a whole, especially with regards to that like sympathetic drive, that's kind of the central factor over the anaerobic processes. And then the peripheral ones are more to do with, you know, the enzymes involved in those endpoint processes and then the substrates available for that does that make sense so yes sir gary you you obviously know well jesus i hope you know this stuff um can you see how this starts playing into your overall decision
0: making processes with regard to training yes sir like I, i think i think people like even if you're just thinking about some of the things patty's saying there and you're like God, I don't know where this is going. But like even if you just think think logically about things like aerobic exercise, when you're thinking about aerobic exercise, it's typically maybe slightly more relaxed. We're thinking about, you know, we're thinking about oxygen delivery, the heart the heart is beating, all that sort of good stuff. Whereas when you're thinking about the more anaerobic stuff, you're as it suggests you're kind of lacking oxygen so you're that bit more out of breath you're going to fatigue very quickly and you're more dependent on i guess the nervous system drive as you suggested and you've probably noticed that yourselves if you do an aerobic type exercise you feel like you know you're you're quite pooped for a while you know you're 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 really stimulated you're really heightened whereas you're in, in a slightly more relaxed state when you you are aerobically exercising so there are those differences there and you don't necessarily need to memorize all of the things Paddy Paddy said because we want to kind of finish this practically i guess when we do we do get there so um yeah i think i think that was a very nice overview and gives people a nice split down the middle of of some of the things that that cross over but also the differences between the two good because we only have
1: one little thing left and then we can kind of get into the more applicable stuff uh with regards to this because Again, this is pretty straightforward when you think of the end points. And that's why I was kind of clarifying with you guys, that you were still paying attention, you were still awake, because it can be very easy to lose yourself in that discussion and go, okay, what the fuck, like, anaerobic, aerobic, yeah, I understand this. Like, but how does that inform any of my decision-making processes? Well, you, you, you have already done this, perhaps without knowing why you have done this, because you look at stuff that... If you do something that is very anaerobic, right? So generally you'll have people talk about like fast twitch muscles or they're trying to target their their fast twitch muscles, you know? That's, That's an anaerobic process. So you'll generally see people employ strategies which are more on the range of, we'll say, an anaerobic process, right? And we'll kind of get into why that's a little bit of a fallacy in the actual implementation in a little bit of a second so why, why would you want to do these fast switch fibers they're obviously anaerobic you know you've got the they have a, a larger cross-sectional area so again they can produce more force they can you know produce more power uh, but again thinking about the trade-off there if you're going to upregulate all of those kind of systems that side of the things you're going to have a lower level of you know, mitochondrial density, or, you know, vascularization, capillary density within that muscle, because, you know, your, your body's smart, it's not going to waste a lot of resources and go, well, this is an anaerobic muscle, it doesn't need these peripheral things that we discussed, it doesn't need a huge number of mitochondrial density it doesn't need huge vascularity uh, in that musculature, if we're more anaerobic, like, why would I send a lot of oxygen to that muscle, waste all my energy sending oxygen to that muscle, And it doesn't need it right and we'll kind of we'll touch on that a little bit in a second as well and then obviously if you are trying to you know push your training more towards the the anaerobic side of things you will have noticed that the central nervous system plays a bigger role and this is why you know getting hyped up for like a, a double or a triple like you know people sniff ammonia and stuff like to really like you know, switch themselves on going to fucking battle mode, like, oh they're a beast, they're attacking the weights. You know, because they they want to turn the nervous system on to get the most you know out of the thing because again we're talking about those central governing factors of that anaerobic system you know if you can turn the nervous system on you can get more motor units activating at once in a, a higher level of synchronicity and get that intra intermuscular coordination going on you know so you know you can get this higher contractility of those fast twitch fibers you know like, oh fuck yeah man got a new triple P or you know because you're real hyped up so obviously then that strong sympathetic drive helps with the you know increasing or helps to increase um the production of stuff like adrenaline and stuff you know and that's why you get real fucking hyped up to go for your your triple p or your your five p or and even like an eight p or whatever it is you know you get more hyped up and this is also why you then notice there's a different type of fatigue from those higher intensities than those lower intensities or you know um higher reps you know so you've definitely noticed this yourself you know just in your training and then you, if you if you are a coach yourself you may not have understood why but you will then or now hopefully should realize why certain protocols call for certain things you know like why can't you just do you know 30 reps in total of a a given exercise at a really high intensity why can't you just do 30 singles like it's the same as three sets of 10 like Can I not just do 30 singles? Obviously not, because again, we're looking at this. There's a different overall energy system utilization, energy production uh, processes going on, right? And then again, you've seen it on the endurance side of things, because I don't want to just focus on the anaerobic thing, because I kind of think people always focus on the anaerobic because they think resistance training, anaerobic. And we'll kind of touch on why that's not necessarily the case all of the time so you got them the more endurance side of things and again these are like very fatigue resistant generally we'll call them like slow twitch fibers you know they're they're uh, uh, they're, they're capable of producing a lot of force but not as much as say say this the faster twitch fibers that more kind of Boom! Fast twitch. Let's go heavy, hard. That's what you're thinking. Although, although the endurance fibers are still obviously able to produce a lot of force, they are obviously more fatigue resistant, but they can't produce as much uh, contractility or as high a force output as those fast twitch fibers, right? Because again, these are these are developed to have you know the maximal uh, delivery of oxygen and the maximal utilization. Of oxygen Uh, so again they've got that like high mitochondrial density they're generally quite vascular that good capillary uh, density because again you're thinking like oh well we want to provide oxygen to these muscles so they're very fatigue resistant but you know maybe they're not as good as using uh or they're they they good at using oxygen, but they're not as good as you know firing all at once, keeping that motor unit recruitment high, keeping that rate of firing high. They're they're not as good at that. But what they lack in that, they make up for in the fact that they are very fatigue resistant. And again, you you think of this like if if you're thinking fatigue resistant, if you've ever done anything like Brazilian jiu-jitsu or any kind of wrestling or anything, you know, if you if you want to preserve energy, what are you trying to do? You're trying to be relaxed. So with these type of fibers, you've got more of a a parasympathetic dominance. And again, that makes sense because you're trying to conserve energy and trying to improve the overall economy. So you're not just wasting a load of energy uh, just by... You know, just just by having those fibers, you know, working. You know, you want to have something that's very fatigue resistant, and the way you get fatigue resistant is you have improved overall, you know, economy of that muscle, but also overall conservation of energy expenditure within that muscle. You know,
0: does that make sense? Yes, sir. And I th- I think one of the, one of the things to note on that as well is, you know, we're 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 proponents of doing both cardio and resistance training to a degree, but you're never going to hear us saying to do like six to 10 hours of like endurance training a week if you're trying to build a maximum amount of muscle. And, and, you know, you were talking about fiber types there and type one and type two and things like that. And like some of the adaptations that people will have, if they are more, let's say you were looking at Hussein Bolt versus what's his name? mo Farah. if you're looking at the two of those and you were to like do a muscle biopsy and them you would most likely see that and Bolt is going to have far more of those type 2 fibers and mo Farah is going to have far more of those type 1 fibers because there is a degree of the ability for muscle fibers to change and adapt in response to training even in their type even if they're just shifting a small bit along the spectrum so you know if you are a powerlifter you, you probably, if you are doing cardiovascular exercise, like you want to do a bit, but you don't want to be doing like 10 hours of endurance training a week. So there are the things that you're going to see at the extremes. And it it just kind of goes to show you that these things that Patty's talking about, you know, at a fundamental level, they will actually play out in terms of the extremes of adaptation, you know, whether you are an endurance athlete or one of those power athletes. So, um, it's not something to go and biopsy yourself and then say that, uh oh, actually, I'm not gonna do bodybuilding because I just have type one fibers. Because they still have the potential to hypertrophy, but but those type two fibers are gonna be a little bit better at uh blowing up and making you look like Phil Heath.
1: Yes, exactly right. So this again comes down to Gary said there as well. Like we we generally recommend people do some cardio, you know, and you you do get a little bit of resistance, especially from people who are. Specialized, and that's what you're talking about there, Gary. You know, people do kind of forget this, especially if you're more, we'll say, general public. Like, at least if you have a sport that you're training for, you have something very specific and you're not looking for these generalized adaptations. However, the the general public are looking for generalized adaptations. They want to be ridiculously strong, but they also want to be able to, you know, jog, run for the bus, you know, maybe do, oh, there's a 5K in work. I'm just going to do that with the boys, the girls. You know, they, they want to be doing. Be able to do all of these things and they forget that if you specialize you lose a generalized capacity because you do get adaptations and those adaptations are specific you know so you do have to put that into or take that into account when you are thinking of how do you implement an overall program or how do you bring in a structure to your training that actually achieves what you want to achieve right because even though I've kind of laid it out there, hopefully in a more kind of succinct way and you're kind of going, okay, there's this division, anaerobic, aerobic. We're talking like short and fast and long and slow, right? Um, and you're kind of going, okay, cool. I've got this division in my head. We can even go oh fast twitch, slow twitch. Got it. However, I want to kind of make this a little bit harder to understand but hopefully clarify something by doing it. Insofar as saying resistance training is anaerobic, that's actually wrong, right? So again, think of it. This, if you think of something that is very anaerobic and the one that everyone always uses when they discuss anaerobic, especially when it's related to you know, resistance training, they always say, oh, sprints. You think sprints, that's anaerobic. And it's like, yeah, cool, 100% agree with you on the first one, right? And what I mean by the first one is if you look at repeated sprint efforts, so repeated bouts of sprints, and you look at the, the energy contribution between those sprints, the more sprints you do, so the more sets of sprints you do, the more aerobic those sprints become, right? So the more that aerobic system is providing energy or it is doing something we'll discuss that in a second to actually allow you exhibit your sprinting potential you know so okay cool if we compare one all out set of squats and one all out sprint yeah i'd happily call them anaerobic no big deal with that but if you're c- comparing something that is multiple sets within a workout like i rarely will you see someone do just one set in the gym you know even like those mike menser high intensity guys like they're not doing one set full stop like they're not going into the gym for five minutes and doing one set you know like there's they're, they're doing a couple of sets overall even if you are on the very 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 low end of volume uh, set wise you know so you're doing multiple sets so those sets are becoming more aerobic as you work out so think of this in terms of your overall program structure because you've experienced this before you know you come into the gym you're on fire and you're like yes mm, yeah i'm I'm gonna kill it today and you do your first set and you're like you say you're even doing eights you know you've done your your warm-up sets and you're going i don't know something like a, a bench press or something and you're like yeah i'm gonna go in for my eight reps on this And you go for your eight and you're like boom pure and you're like oh, my program says three sets of eight. So then you're like, okay, cool. Two minute rest, whatever it is. Your next set, you go in, it's like, boom. Oh, I only got six reps that time. Okay, okay, two minutes rest again. Boom, okay, well, four, that that fifth one is a bit of a grinder. What's happening, you know? Again, you just look at it. What what is going on there in your workout as we'll call it fatigue accumulates. You know, it's it's a change in the the energy system utilization or the energy production uh, overall uh, w- within that given workout because you are doing multiple sets. And if you do multiple sets, you are shifting things to a more aerobic place, you know? Um, so it makes sense for someone, even if their goal is powerlifting, even if their goal is maximal strength development, most maximal anaerobic development it makes sense that you get good at the aerobic system or you get your aerobic system working well because again it's more blood flow to the muscles so even for those bros out there you just get a better pump if that's all you need to know to get you to do some cardio cool um but you, you get better vascularization, you get better mitochondrial density, you get better, you know, like the mitochondrial efficiency, you get better at storing, you know, glycogen, you know, like so you get all these things that are good for bodybuilding, which is the, the goal of most of these people. You know, they want to build their body. They want to build bigger, stronger muscles. But the thing that comes into it, and this is the thing that people kind of miss the forest for the trees with, and you mentioned it there, Gary, was People think as soon as you say aerobic, that means long, slow intensity. But if you think back to the start of this podcast, and this is why I kind of emphasized it there and I was like, yeah, it makes sense. If you do stuff, the energy contribution isn't this linear like, oh, anaerobic, and then it switches off, and then it's aerobic, just switches on. There's no, there's, there isn't this delineation. The aerobic system is supporting everything. You know, it's a really fucking efficient system. It does a lot and it contributes to this energy production a lot. Not only does it contribute to energy production itself, it's also contributing to getting rid of the metabolic waste of this anaerobic system, you know, because that requires energy as well. Think of it again you've got this production line, boom, we've made all this. The production line is going, you've got your anaerobic system going, you do your heavy set of 10, 12, 8, 5, whatever it is, and. In the, the, the processing of that energy, in the making of that energy, those those little workers on that production line just created a load of waste. It's the aerobic system that's coming in, tidying that place up so that when you're going in for your next set, you're ready to go again. You'll see this borne out. People who have like very high aerobic fitness, you know, 30, 40 seconds into a rest period and they're like, bro, I'm ready to go again. And you're over here as a fat powerlifter, not to pick on powerlifters, but you're going like, oh, oh, I'm out of breath. And it's, you've taken five minutes uh, for your rest period. And it's like, okay, like this, this makes sense. You're just very anaerobically fit, but you're not aerobically fit. And this is again, where people kind of lose the forest for the trees, especially in the overall research, because people kind of say, and it's suggested that, you know, overall volume dictates the hypertrophic response. Would you agree with that, Gary? yes sir so if volume dictates the overall hypertrophic response now obviously it's not the the only factor that goes into it but if you take someone person a and person b and you're like well this person can do 12 sets and this person can only do eight sets you would expect the person that can do 12 sets and recover from it would grow more give or take right Again, if we're, we're saying they're twins, right? Well, so obviously there's going to be individual, inter individual uh, differences. Um, you would expect that, right? So if your goal is to build as much fucking muscle as possible, it behooves you to get aerobically fit because in a given time training session, you will be able to get more work done because you will be able to recover set to set much quicker. So not only are you going, okay, well, my, my rest time, has gone down, and then potentially we can say that contributes to you know the cell swelling stuff that goes on, and is a potential driver of hypertrophy. And um, you know a metabolic buildup, we can talk about that as well. But that's getting a little bit more of an anaerobic process. So if you can support that, help buffer that, and get rid of all those, you know, again the aerobic system is doing that. But if you're able to do more work because you know, from set to set, you don't see this huge drop off where, you know, the first set you did, oh yeah, I got eight. And the next one you did, you got six. And the next one you did, you got, you know, four and a quarter. Uh, It's like, if you don't see this huge drop off and you're actually aerobically fit. And you're like, yeah, I did eight. I did eight. I did eight. You're going to be in a much better position to make long-term progress. Well, short-term progress as well. So it does behoove you as an individual, if you are looking to maximize your muscle building capacity, it makes sense to get very aerobically fit, right? Does that jive with what you've experienced in training people, in training yourself, in the overall literature, Gary?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's interesting as well because like you've obviously, like I'm sure you've had this observation as well of people, people generally love, you know, the, the kind of lower volume approaches where you work up to uh, a top set maybe do another set or maybe not or do a half hour set and kind of just do very little sets overall make your sessions very short and just kind of take everything to failure and like like that might work for a percentage of people but you'd actually be far better served to do a a, like most people would probably be better served to do more volume at least multiple sets but the interesting thing is that if you're if you're very if you have a low degree of aerobic fitness and maybe you are that kind of that person who loves the the low volume approach like you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that you are making great progress and that you don't need to improve aerobic fitness at all because if you work up to one set to failure like every session you may see increases in strength over the course of a training cycle purely through neural adaptations because it's it's just one set and like you were you were talking about how multiple sets if you can maintain your strength it is likely to be a sign that maybe you do have better aerobic fitness it's also probably a sign that you have you, you know that you're probably built some muscle as well because it's, it's probably more likely that if you're able to sustain your strength over more sets over a longer period of time th- for higher volumes, that there's extra muscle there as opposed to it being purely like additional sympathetic drive like you were speaking about where we're just getting that one big high force set and then we're not able to maintain everything else. So I think like everyone should be looking to at least try a higher volume program which may require you to have better aerobic fitness. So that you have the, the work capacity to be able to do that additional volume. Because the thing is like science doesn't tell us the best program. It never will. But if, if, if we know the volume is the biggest driver of hypertrophy based on like the most amount of people, like if that is the weight of the evidence, then that is, that should be something you should at least try, you know? So you should probably try what is, what is most likely to be the best. And then once you've tried that, if you notice that, oh, when I do, I don't know, 15 to 20 sets a week, when I do that, I don't get as good results as when I do five to 10 sets a week, at least then you've tried. But if you've never worked up to that point, potentially because you don't like training with high volumes because you've got low aerobic fitness and you can't sustain it, then it, it would definitely be worth trying. So so yeah, like I think having having aerobic fitness to support your training volume is definitely helpful because like you were saying, you know, it might help you to do more reps because you're not out of breath. You're not completely like panting and unable to, to finish your set because of your breathing, but it may also improve your recovery between sets and between sessions, but also the endurance within the session itself. So worthwhile being, being at least some degree fit, like it doesn't mean you have to be able to run a marathon, but like, you know, you should be able to, I don't know, arbitrary, but you should be able to do a five k without dying. Like I, I think, <laughs>
1: mm. yeah. And see, this is this is the thing as well. Like, as we were just saying there, your ability to accrue tissue or accrue overall volume is a good metric for accruing that that tissue. And obviously, it's up to a point. Like, I'm not saying do like you know 50 sets per session and take like 10 seconds break between everything because oh yeah i'm fucking aerobically fit Uh, like obviously that's not what we're saying at the same time but having a greater degree of aerobic fitness does actually benefit your resistance training because it does actually directly benefit your ability to resistance train you know and also again as i said like it's just going to lead to better pumps so all the (laughs) All the all the guys, all the all the bros out there, like that's all you need to say. It's like your your biceps are just going to get ridiculously better pumps if you just get aerobically fit, you know. And again, this is generally what people will notice as well when they do get fitter. They do actually, you know, feel better. They do actually, you know, have an overall better sense of well-being, an overall better, we'll say, life outlook, and this. This fucking makes sense again, given the fact that if you are this anaerobic beast, right, all the stuff you do is anaerobic. Like you are going to be so fucking sympathetically driven; it's unreal, you know. Like at the drop of a hat, boom, adrenaline straight through the roof. All those fast switch fibers, you know, like that—that's that, what you're going to be. Of course, you're fucking stressed out all day. You have this heightened ability and this heightened, you know strong sympathetic drive ability you know to really acutely increase you know hormones like adrenaline like of course you're going to feel stressed out all the time of course you're going to feel like you know oh man i'm just always on edge right and then you look at the the aerobic stuff and it's like this actually activates you know these slow twitch it's it's parasympathetic so it's like hmm let's just think this through I've got this, this this fast twitch system. I've got this anaerobic system. You know, you may not be a, a a fast twitch individual, but you can train yourself to be anaerobic. Like You can have, like, no uh, aerobic fitness and have all slow twitches, you know, slow twitch fibers, purely because, you know, again, as I said, you think of it, the central governing factor is your lungs, your heart, you know, your nervous system regulation of those two things. So you could have all the slow twitch fibers in the world, but have no... Uh, Heart capacity, no, you know, lung capacity, because you've just literally sat in front of uh, a PlayStation your whole life, you know. So you do have to take that into account. And again, you, you you look at that, and it makes sense from an overall lifestyle stuff that we're talking about to do some cardiovascular work in your training because. If you are doing something, which the majority of people listening to this are, they're doing resistance training. And I know I just said that resistance training isn't necessarily anaerobic because there's a huge aerobic component to it. But if you're looking at your overall training, your overall week, the vast majority of you are going to be in that more sympathetic state like the vast majority of people listening to this are either coaches themselves and like coaches run themselves into the ground even though they know better you know they they run on four hours of sleep they train every single day because they love it and you know they stress because most of them work for themselves so there's not this like guaranteed steady supply of income you know same with the the general pop the individuals listening to this where it's like you have a fucking job you have a family you know the the gym this hour of the gym that you're trying to do six days per week when you know maybe four would probably suit you better is is all like that that sympathetic stuff you know so you're always stimulating that side of things and it's like genuinely how much or how much time during the week do you actually spend on that that parasympathetic stuff you know when do you ever get into that and the, the majority of people the only time they ever get into that is when you know their head hits the pillow and they spend that hour or half an hour to an hour of you know throwing around those thoughts in their head or like oh i need to do this and this bit this tomorrow and all this and it's like and if you had actually you know done some work to set yourself up correctly get this parasympathetic system up to scratch get your aerobic fitness up to scratch not only are your resistance training sessions going to be more fruitful not only are going to be better you are also going to notice that, fuck, you actually feel great, you know? So, it, like, it does make sense to do some aerobic work. And we'll get into it at some stage, you know, the kind of – the programs and the, the the tools and all that kind of stuff, you know, that, that's kind of stuff obviously we discuss in the militia, but I do feel it would help a lot of people to actually see that – in practice or at least hear it in practice um, but even something as very simple as doing if you want to use the, the, the caloric method something like a hundred calories of cardio in an aerobic uh, cardiovascular output system um, at the end of your workout So you do your workout you know you go okay cool you know I, I did my normal workout and all I changed was doing some low intensity aerobic work at the end of my workout, hundred calories that's it you will actually see an improvement in your overall training, your overall life as a whole, you know? Anyway, Gary, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think we're at the kind of hour mark. So we might just somewhat wrap it up there and then maybe continue the discussion as it relates to nutrition next week. Because I think people have a good idea of the the training side of things or at least have had a few cogs in their head start spinning and start thinking oh yeah okay that makes sense when i consider anaerobic aerobic that makes sense when i consider what's going on in the nervous system with regard to that and it's kind of getting people thinking about this kind of stuff so what, what are your overall thoughts gary yeah
0: i think we, we almost turned it into a cardio podcast and to add to add one one more kind of caveat to that as well like if you're not convinced by anything we said in relation to resistance training or why you should do cardio and you still just want to sit in your ass at least just take this take-home point the higher your v- vo2 max the less of a risk there is of you dying so like that's that's a decent enough like statistic and like i think i think these days like Who the fuck cares about dying, Gary?
1: I'm I'm (laughs) never going to die. Right, just look at this. Marathon runners or people that run more often have more sex. That's what the people want to know. Too easy. (laughs) And again, um, it makes sense. It makes sense because you've got this fight or flight system or you've got what's this other system? feed and breathe Breathe, and breathe i mean fuck you know (laughs) so you've got these two systems and guess what these people that are hammering this parasympathetic system and being all relaxed and chilled out as fuck they get laid more often
0: (laughs) but yeah like I i think there is like a general like it's kind of like a pendulum swing like everyone seems to be resistance training bias at the moment um even in like the exercise science community but i think that is more of a it's, it's like the pendulum just swinging because it was always in the past about how important it is to do to go running, to do aerobic fitness and stuff. And then everyone's kind of like, oh, no, resistance training is important. And then it just goes to the other side. And then what you're probably going to see in the next decade is that, oh, you should actually probably do both for health. It's, it's probably a good idea. But like, you know, both of them have health benefits independent of each other and together because obviously there is a crossover of just generally physically exerting yourself being a good idea. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that, I think that covers a lot. You guys should have at least some idea of an understanding of, you know, how the body is getting energy and how that relates to different activities. And I think what we'll touch on in the next podcast is, um, specific activities. And I suppose how aerobic slash anaerobic they are, they are, because I think, I think that's good. There's probably some of you here who play GA, there's probably some people who play rugby, maybe some of you coach PE in a school or something, so you know we can give you some examples of activities and how the energy systems relate to those. Um, and then, of course, the thing that this all feeds into is nutritional recommendations, because I think there's a lot of misconception out there in relation to energy systems and actual, you know, diet. Because a lot of people just assume that, oh, if your activity is primarily aerobic, then you need to consume fat or go keto and hopefully the next podcast we'll be able to refute that um a little bit and give you guys some more information
1: yes gary and maybe you might actually you know contribute to the conversation next time a little bit yeah i will yeah yeah anyway gary right we're wrapping it up there however you're in charge you're head of marketing that's all you do here i do every literally everything else do we have anything coming up in the next while? Do you have anything to say to the people to, you know, help them help themselves? Perhaps, perhaps there is, you know, a place they could go that maybe they could get some of this information explained to them. You know, like, what's the story, Gary?
0: If you think anyone is actually still listening to this podcast after hearing you ramble on for a whole hour about shite, you are wrong but anyway you asked me to talk about this like for the one or two people that may still be here um we do have coaching spaces available at the moment as always the link is going to be in the bio so if you want to read the little description box below or above or in front or wherever you can click on that and inquire about our coaching services Um, Along with that, you can join the Triage Militia, which is, of course, our education-based membership site in which we write articles and post videos and free programs for your benefit, whether you are a coach or PT or just an interested trainee. Um, And finally, this podcast, we want it to be led by you to a degree. So you can actually submit a question to the podcast um, that we can discuss or alternatively we'll write a free article on it um and what you can do is just click the link which is going to be in the description again to a form that you just submit the question that um along with that i think i think what would be a good idea and i didn't say it to you yet, yeah, patty is maybe every three or four episodes what we could do with some of the questions that don't warrant their own podcast is do like a QA episode where we we take maybe five or six questions and just go through them where maybe they won't you know warrant their own podcast think that'd be a good idea what do you think business decisions live
1: no no, no, we're not doing that that's that's just weak okay never mind every question every question deserves a full and thorough answer (laughs) um what do we have coming up on the horizon are
0: we going somewhere we are going to zurich i believe (laughs) this weekend we're going to zurich on friday so we'll probably take a video of ourselves and post it on the internet so you guys can watch us Slagging each other and comparing dickie size. Um, other than that, what else are you doing? I'm not doing anything. I'm just I'm just sitting in my room doing emails.
1: That's literally all I do. Like I am a glorified office worker. People think I was actually saying this to one of the one of the lads uh, the other day. I was like, I basically have the most unhealthy job ever. Like people get into the health and fitness industry, right? And they kind of like, oh, yeah, I like moving, I like, you know, sport, or I like, you know, body transformation, I liked all this fat loss, whatever fucking reason. Basically, they get into this because they enjoy moving, they enjoy being fit, being healthy, maybe they enjoy being strong, etc., whatever the fuck, you know. I basically sit at a desk all day. Yeah, but people think like, you know, I'm a health and fitness professional, you know. And I'm like, I sit at a desk all day. Like, I probably sit at a desk for longer than people in an office like and also at least in an office you know there's some chance of socialization and i literally sit at a desk in my own room <laughs>
0: me too you know it is to, to a degree it's actually kind of a privilege as well because we have it is self-serving in that like both of us are interested in reading and writing slash educating so we've kind of just created this career which is a bit weird where we kind of just sit in our rooms but at the same time hopefully someday we will get back to the the one-to-one stuff because I do like that as well. I, I'd love to be fucking on my feet in a gym fucking being like, come on, dude, fucking 50 more reps. Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't
1: wait for that either. Like, I actually just enjoy just, you know, interacting with people, helping people, seeing people move. That's actually one of my favorite pastimes. Like, even just people watching on the street, just looking at them move and seeing how their joints move in pleasure. You know, it's, it's just beautiful, you know? And so, like, I do think I see some coaching on our horizon at some stage. But, you know, For now, again, it is self-serving, self-serving, sitting in our room, oftentimes in the dark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, actually, I just want to give a quick shout out to my friend, uh, Mark O'Dwyer, because he is actually opening up a facility. Couldn't tell you the name of the facility. I want to say it's Mod Physical Culture. Culture. Yeah, um, so he's opening that up. So if you are interested in getting training, coaching, Whatever fuck in the Sandyford area, you know, hit that boy up. He's a good boy, you know. He's pretty ugly in the facial department, um, but he is a good boy. He knows he knows his stuff, you know. Um, anyway, guy, wrapping that up. Do you have anything left to say?
0: We used to always give people some sort of fucking random non-fitness related advice or nugget of knowledge at the end of all our podcast. No, you did. No, 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 no. we're going to do it. So, Patty, this, this week's question is for you. And my question is, what are your thoughts on the North Korea and Trump <laughs> collaboration? You can't stump the Trump. Like. Too easy. <laughs> There you go. That's your number of for this week. You can't ask.
1: I'll I'll ask you a question then, Gary, as well. What do you feel about
0: the six silent letters in Derry? Jesus, my dad will hear you. He'll be coming up the stairs. Are you serious? (laughs) I'll get locked in in the attic for a week if he hears that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm ending this here. Peace out, guys.